Yeah. All right. Check, check. All right, all right. A little bit louder. Good. Check, check. Hear everything all right? All right. All right, everybody. We live and good to go? All right. Uh, good to see you. Welcome. Welcome to you online. Glad you can join us. Um, before we get going, I just want to say it's good that we're doing this. This is um, because if we're going to be a church that knows it's God uh, and is known by its God, then we have to be a church that knows its Bible. Um, R.C. Sproul said, you can't love what you don't know. You can't believe what we don't know. We need knowledge. Uh, but the greatest thing that we need to lay hold of transcends knowledge. You see knowledge in the Bible. It's always coupled with love. Love isn't far behind it or in front of it. Uh, these two things hold hands well, uh, and they need to. Knowledge by itself puffs up, right? Um, part of me, that grinds against me because I, I love knowledge more than love sometimes. Especially hearing today, Leonard, was, it was a, one of those moments where you kind of want to duck behind the pews when Leonard was talking about uh, not all about what they need, they need to, not all about, not all about knowledge, but we need love too. The God-initiated first love of Christ crucified that brings peace with God. And the only way to have peace with anything in this book is to have peace with the God of the Bible uh, through his son. We're saved by grace, as we'll see today, as we saw today, as we've seen through every character that we've met so far. We're saved by grace through faith in what he's shown. And so we need faith. Faith comes from hearing the word. The word says that's by grace. He must show himself to us and so that we leave here and serve, uh, so that we come here and receive so that we can leave here and serve in joy of having been served by our humble God. Um, every time we open our Bible, we get to witness God and be filled so that when we close our Bible, we can all Jesus has done so far is show himself to us. He hasn't given us too many, do this, don't do that, has he? And it's enough. I could give you action steps all day, or I could give you a lot of Jesus, and you'll be more fruitful than any action step I could ever do. Be full of him is to be like him. So you're not just doing devotions, but um, So our action step has been and will continue to be he will command us do's and don'ts, but up to now, he's just been commanding our faith, our, our humility um, by showing us himself, authority, his worthiness, his sovereignty, his compassion, his love. We're seeing him work. Are you seeing him? Are you seeing yourself believing? Is it hardening our hearts against him? gathering our hearts towards him are you beholding him are we beholding him it humbles and it even hurts but god is working as john 6 20 one of my favorite verses and it's probably becoming my favorite verse in the bible um john 6 verse 29 says 
Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God that you believe in his only son. God's work is our belief. If he doesn't have our belief, he doesn't have works. But let's continue. Uh, we're going to jump in. We're going to spend a lot of time with Matthew, and then we're going to get to uh, new wine, new covenant. That'll be very quick. Um, so let's spend some time with Matthew, with Levi today. Here we're going to hear the effectual call. These are our themes. The effectual call of God, mercy and hope for sinners. We'll see self-righteousness and a stubborn heart. And we'll see a perfect new covenant. So, Father, thank you for these things. I pray that you would open them up for us, open our hearts to receive. Um, may we be fruitful in the knowledge that we have. It's too wonderful for us, so help us to be humble. Spirit, may you sanctify this word, fire, that we might be just good recipients. Receive it well. We might receive Christ as we hear this word and be every bit as exhilarated as Matthew was. Left everything to follow Jesus. Continue your work that you started in the service today and thank you for such a good message from our pastor. Thank you for all of these here and all online. May your name be glorified in us as you create gospel doctrine and also gospel culture. For your wonderful name, Amen. So, uh, starting in verse 29, and we'll finish out uh, Luke 5. You guys enjoying the book of Luke? This has been something, hasn't it? God is, I haven't heard any complaints, like we're still on Luke three months later. Yeah? Oh, we're going on three months. It's been awesome. I'll camp out here for the rest of my days. All right. After this, all right, after what? So we saw, th we met three men, met a few more, but text focused on three men. Uh, a demoniac suffering from a malign spirit, we saw him freed. We saw an unclean leper cleansed. We saw an immobile paralytic forgiven and then healed. And remember we talked about last week, the headline would have been, uh, wouldn't have, would, uh, we, we saw a sinner cleansed, and that would have been a bigger headline than a paralytic healed uh, in heaven. Um, uh, and we said, those who keep crowding Jesus primarily want healing and help. None want forgiveness. This is by far the greatest healing and help we need. Uh, we said that when we started last, or when we ended last week and we started this week. Um, perhaps after being healed, the story would go, a former uh, paralytic walked home. But that's not what the text says. It says, but his sins were forgiven. And it says he rose. He rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on. Now he's holding what held him. He went home glorifying God. That's the difference between healing and forgiveness. Sees the difference. Um, he humbles us. Now we meet a fourth man. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. So he would have likely been on a Roman highway gathering taxes for that. Um, we can think of Levi kind of like one of those toll road employees sitting there in his booth. Uh, not a chief tax collector like Zacchaeus that we'll meet in chapter 19, I think. Um, how appealing this would have been for a tax collector. 
forgive sins. It's remember, it says that the, his story begins with after this, after this being the paralytic. So think about this man, Levi, who lives this life of being canceled by his culture, which we'll talk about. Uh, and then he hears Jesus forgives sins. This guy, he didn't have any ailments. He, wasn't, he, could, he didn't have anything else to bring before Jesus. He's not on a mat. He's not blind. He doesn't have a bad rash. He doesn't, nothing like that. His sin, like Psalm 51 says, was ever before him because of what he was doing. I think we can read that into the text just because of the instant following of Jesus. How appealing that he would, maybe, I don't know, he, the news would have hit his tax booth and then he sees this Jesus walking towards him and then he comes to him. And he said to him, Jesus, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So I want the text to give us more details. But I actually love how vague it is. Um, makes us focus on the point a little bit. Uh, point is this, he demonstrates a commitment to discipleship, like Peter, James, and John had, leaving all to follow Christ. He saw what they did, Jesus' surpassing work. And Paul tells us of uh, the same thing that, uh, that he sees in, in, his, uh, in his Levi moment. Uh, you can read about that in Acts 9, but he also gives us a little bit in 1 Timothy. When he's writing to encourage Timothy, uh, Paul's Levi moment. First uh, Timothy 1, starting in verse 12. And I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, through, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy. What can you do to receive mercy? I mean, by definition. Grace as well. Because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed to me with faith, love that are in, in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. That kind of for Paul to say that that means anybody else has nothing else they could hide behind. He was an apostle. There's no more apostles anymore. Uh him to say in other translations that to be the chief of sinners he if he diagnoses himself as such we see in this in this text other people seeing that in themselves when they see the glory of Christ but I receive yeah Yeah, we don't see a lot of uh, Pharisees becoming Christians. Yes. Yeah. All right, our, I'm sorry for you at home. Our mics quit. We had you set up with the new system, but we're going to pass the mic. Leonard's handy with it. All right. Uh, but for this reason, for what reason? Of his uh, being ignorant and unbelief and, and being an opponent, uh, being a former blasphemer. These are the re these are the things that God gives us mercy for. Not for anything good we do, but that's what mercy is. It's for the bad things not giving us deserve. And he demonstrates that gloriously in the Apostle Paul. Levi here, man on the mat, a leper. 
what he's doing because he's going to go after the Christians. He still remembers that. Yes. And I think given much, stronger Christian. His forgiveness gives us the capacity to forgive others. Uh, C.S. Lewis said that um, we can for, we we can forgive the inex- what's inexcusable in others because he forgave the inexcusable in us. All right, from Levi goes second point here from funding the oppressors, troubling the people, benefiting self. That's where this is what this is where uh, Levi goes from. He's sitting in his booth. He goes from funding the oppressors, the Roman Empire that's uh, uh, that's over their nation, to troubling the peoples. He he, w- he was a trigger to anybody um, that even laid eyes on him just because of what he represented and who he was. He was a Jew who was uh, was who was giving to the, their their own oppressors. He wouldn't have had a very good reputation. Benefiting self. He had the opportunity to charge more than what was due so that he could make his living off that. Um, it goes from funding the oppressors, troubling the peoples, benefiting self, to following the liberator, serving the people for the joyful abandoning of self. He could have taken some heat from leaving his position from the Roman Empire, couldn't he have? You've, he left his chair open. They're not making money in that spot anymore. Put on the spot. Matthew was saved, Levi, Matthew, um, by grace alone. He was just sitting there, and Jesus calls him. It's called the effectual call of God. And I won't get too far into that, but I do just want to read this little bit on the effectual call of God from, the, uh, from one of the uh, confessions of church history, the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Look what it says here on the effectual call. Those whom God has predestined unto life, he, has, he, he is pleased in his, appoint, uh, in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of the state of sin and death in which we are by nature, calls us from that, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens our minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving on and giving on to them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by His Almighty power determining them to do what is good, effectually, living absolutely, uh, drawing them to Jesus, yet so that they might come most freely, being made willing by His grace. Mm. I love that. Go home now, aren't we? That's what happens here with Matthew. That's what happens with Paul in Acts 9. Yes. Now, uh, question from Kathy. Um, since we're on the point of grace, can you explain? She wants to know if Kathy Martin had a question. Yes. Uh, what is the difference between grace and mercy? Since you kind of went into a, an explanation of grace sure. a little bit. Uh, grace, this is the simplest definition that I've heard. Uh, grace is you getting what you don't deserve mercy is you receiving is you not receiving what you do deserve okay grace you get what you don't deserve mercy you don't get what you do deserve that's the simplest uh explanation of those two things and they go hand in hand and you find them on the cross he gets what we deserve 
we got what he earned. Pure grace, pure mercy. All right, verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. All right, so these are the disreputable sinners. Some of your translations might actually say disreputable sinner. Um, uh, these are the town riffraff. Like, so you know who these are. Uh, I love these people. Uh, I play basketball with them. They call me terrible names, and they call each other terrible names. I love the riffraff, the people that you call the cops on when they're at the park because of what they're doing in the pavilion. Some of them the, probably even smoking pot in the corner. And some of, yeah, so, so there might be some. <laughs> 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 now, now I'm just thinking of, like, there's like a, there's a guy in the back of the room with Jesus at the table. Never mind. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, it could be. That's the, yeah, you know what? Yeah. The church is supposed to be a messy place. If we all have it figured out, then how are we any different than the Pharisee? So when you see someone coming in here with a face tattoo and, just a messy place praise god it should be a messy place um this is the hospital yeah this is the hospital this is uh yeah we should have our doctrine together but we're always going to be a messy and scattered bunch there's no getting to a state of perfection yeah so we i think i might have said something about that soon okay all right uh all right, so instead of immediately cutting his old associates off, I got this from my commentary. Instead of immediately cutting his old associates off, Levi invites them to his home, probably to bring them into contact with Jesus. All right, I love that. Instead of cutting them off to follow Jesus, he invites them to come to Jesus. All right, um, so, so does the woman at the well in John 4. Come see the man who told me everything I ever did. The, she's trying to avoid everybody in the town, going there at a different part of the day. She doesn't want to be seen. Now she goes to the very people she's trying to avoid. John 4, you can go read about that there. And Andrew and John's other disciple in John 1. Um, uh, they, uh, John the Baptist points out Jesus says, There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, uh, John's two disciples, Andrew is one of them, and it says another one. Uh, follow Jesus instead. They say, Jesus says, Come and... Uh, what do you want me to tell, or what do you want to know? Uh, and Jesus says, they want, what are you saying? He says, come and see. They spend some time with Jesus. Now in the next story, it says, they go tell other people, come and see. And there's other stories in the Bible too. So the supernatural effect of meeting Jesus is one others, wanting others to meet him as well. Come and see. But he first says, come and see to us. It's that preemptive come and see. And Christianity, we've said in here before, is, hey, I met a great guy. I want you to meet him, too. Um, so do we have that desire in us? Like, there's a shift that happens in us. Like, if you're a Christian, your story in some sense is that you went from indifference to following and waving others to come along, to come aboard. And you were sent out among them. You stopped seeing him however you saw him. And you start seeing him as he is, like Peter. And all the, guy, all the men that we've met so far, that, and people that uh, Jesus has encountered throughout the book of Luke. Excuse me. And just about everyone else we've met so far. Yeah. Uh, so, so what happened? I don't have his permission to tell this story, but there was a man in a Bible study that I was in. This, and we were going through the book of Matthew. Um, if you're watching, hi. 
Uh, uh, and so visibly each week, the word would do something to this man to the point where he would get visibly angry. He would question, never blaspheme the Lord or anything like that, but he would get tangibly kind of jostled. And it got to the point, I remember one time he threw his pencil down and just, he was, he was, he was in that drawing in stage, you know? When you're lassoing a horse, it often doesn't go well at first, right? <laughs> okay, so that's what Jesus was doing. Uh, and it, it, it was, and then he goes from to actually talking about the Bible, the Bible as we go through. Something happened along the way. He started to behold. He was seeing him. There was that tug of war that happens between sinner and Savior, and then Savior wins. And then you're excited to come to Bible study. You stop throwing your pencil down. You start getting excited. You start smiling. Something happens. Okay, so what this text also doesn't tell us is that there is a time to make, to make some distance from old friends who are hindering our weak faith, um, who might be, uh, how'd you put it during the service? You, uh, well, you essentially said that. Um, yeah, they're just pulling, they're so powerful in their pull that they're pulling you away from them. Yeah, if they're jostling your walk with the Lord, I mean, there's a time to create a healthy distance, but not, distance, but not without introducing them to the one you're not following. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. So this is the verse uh, I'll spend a little bit of time on, and then we'll go through the rest of it pretty quickly. All right, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. All right, so in verse 21 in the story with the paralytic, it says that they question in their hearts and then in each other. Now they're grumbling at his disciples, and soon they'll go directly to him. Later with, uh, and later on in the story, uh, we'll go to, they'll go to the high priest. They'll take it further, and then they'll take it to the Roman overlords once we get to that end of the book of Luke. All the way to the top. But not, but not quite. Because once they've gotten as far as they can take it with their persecution of Jesus, um, and he's crucified and dead, he's resurrected, having gone through everything exactly how God had planned and allowed. There's a greater authority something greater than their grumbling and their intentions. So notice we never see them, the Pharisees, consulting God on Jesus. Can you think of a place where they're, is this the guy? Like, just grumbling and persecuting him with a few exceptions such as Nicodemus and maybe, maybe uh, some other unnamed. And a note, grumbling. Grumbling is self-righteousness. Grumbling is self-righteousness validating itself. Grumbling is self-righteousness validating itself. It's pride expressing itself. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's the goal of this question? It's kind of a loaded, it kind of has like a loaded 
antagonizing tone to it. We think he's a liberal lawbreaker. You guys don't see it? All right, so first, uh, sharing a meal was and is an intimate thing, especially in Jewish culture in this time. Um, it is in most any culture. It's how we celebrate with feasting. It's how we uh, mourn. We console with food. We encourage with food. Food is, uh, we'll see. Uh, like, so in their society, uh, table, fellowship, table fellowship implied mutual acceptance. And so in their eyes, seeing Jesus partake in a meal would tell them that he partook and agreed with these sinners and their sin. That's what they saw when they looked at this. That was unacceptable conduct. Jesus isn't sinning. He's inviting and receiving sinners like the doctor is in. They don't see that. And that's what he's about to correct them on uh, graciously. Um, Jesus can be with sinners and not partake in their sin. We have a harder time with that. Pharisees de uh, the Pharisees' dedication was preserving the purity of the Jewish faith and life. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they miss God in all of it, namely the Messiah. The goal wasn't living holy to God and worship of him. It was living holy for self-satisfaction and image purposes with God as a means to a moral lifestyle. Uh, Jesus says... They just don't care about, uh, uh, they're concerned with the outside of the cup. You remember when he says that? But they're dirty inside, whitewashed tombs, dead inside. Verbally giving honor, these people honor me with their lips, but no heart after um, affections, but in their hearts they are far from me. Um, they look really good on the outside. Um, and a lot of us do. Um, we'll get plenty of opportunities to talk about them as they go. They're gonna, they're, they're probably Jesus' main antagonists, yeah, um, throughout each gospel. Um, but for now, let's just soak in what we can from them. Um, we can see from them here that nothing provokes provokes self righteousness like seeing the lawless and less than receiving grace. Nothing provokes self-righteousness like seeing the lawless and less than receiving grace. If it's all morality and obedience and box-checking, they're good. But obedience doesn't cure the problem. The law, which they were uh, personifications of, doesn't cure them. Like the, in their minds, and they have a religious mindset where they can believe their way to God. Or they can obey their way to God. Law, which okay, only a good physician can do this. These sinners, the riffraff, the dis the disputable, uh, disreputable, the rejected, the unclean, the paralyzed, and the haunted, they know their depravity, and we're closer <laughs> to God than these religious could ever be. Right. All right. So what they could see, but don't see, is that. Levi here is throwing a feast to honor Jesus and perhaps to show gratitude <coughs> towards him. Uh, Jesus didn't cancel them as society did, uh, nor as he did deserve, but called him, and now he's a part of Jesus' ministry. He's God's work, and then he becomes God's worker. 
Uh, it's the same with us. He draws us, we learn from, and he sends us out, loving us all the way through that, before, during, and after. Uh, his first ministry act is to unite sinners around, a great me- around the great meeting place of food so that others can taste of God and Jesus Christ. That's the real feast here. Uh, Levi's status as a tax collector would have made every would have made him every bit as canceled as the man with leprosy we met, but for different reasons. The leper had a deadly disease. The people Levi was uh, the people Levi was making his living from. Levi was the disease. The very sight of him would have triggered you. Jesus didn't cancel him. He says, "No, come with me instead." That's the kind of that's how God approaches sinners. Yes, we're worthy of. Everything that he gives us mercy from. On that, on that, on that, on that point, Rich, it's risky for Jesus to say, "I'm going to choose twelve people, and one of them is going to be a tax collector." Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what that would do for his brand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you don't want to do that because he's toxic. Yeah. And he's not perceived positively by people. Yeah. Um, so this is the Jewish Messiah, and he just got a tax collector. What? <laughs> yeah. 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 Let's just throw some more dead weight on this whole thing, yeah. you know. But what the genius I think behind that is what a testimony of the power of the gospel in Levi's life, and I think that's why Jesus chose. That very interesting, socially, um, not front and center people. Yeah. Um, amen. Yo. Rather interesting. Uh, you think Levi is the one that actually set up the dinner, one come all. I think Jesus is the one that actually had. Yeah. Levi set it up, and in these particular verses, there's a contrast, especially when the Pharisees came in. They came in to criticize. Yeah. Uh, the, the sinners actually came to find out about salvation. Mm-hmm. So we got to bring Jesus into the picture, too. It wasn't just Levi doing oh, no. punching. Yeah. Because it, yeah, uh, I think that was a great passage. Yeah, all of our works will be shown to be accomplished by God. I think you could say that there too. Uh, Is that on? Yeah. He went to. Yes. Parkside. Alistair. Oh yeah. Okay. Enrollment Pharisees have it in. We're all nodding our head. They said, I saw one this morning when I looked in the mirror to Amen. shave. <laughs> yeah. And I remember that. There's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. Oh, yeah. No, maybe not a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. Oh, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. And I still remember that to this day. But, yeah. You know, don't, don't talk yeah. about the Pharisees. It's right in here, too. Yeah. Chapter 9 is going to yes. explode that. Yes. yes. I mean, the, yeah. the Pharisees reveal some things about us 
And so we, we like to say those Pharisees, those yes. Pharisees, yeah. but we should, we're not much different than them, are we? Not at all different. I, I was getting there, you too. <laughs> and Jesus answered them. All right, so notice Jesus steps in here. When they questioned in their hearts, he stepped in. With, with the paralytic, they were questioning in their hearts, and they stepped in. They weren't even saying anything to the crowds yet. Uh, when they conversated with each other, he steps in. When they bring it to his disciples, he steps in. So here's a perfect Adam note. Uh, Satan spoke to Eve for a reason. Satan's advancement put Eve solely in the leadership role. Uh, and Adam should have stepped in and stopped it and contended for the faith, contended for the truth, and protected his wife. That was his job, and he punted on it. Instead, Adam was passive. The text says, and she gave some to her husband who was where? With her. He wasn't across the river. He wasn't a few trees down. Not so with the second Adam. You notice he doesn't, he's not even talking to Jesus, and he steps in. They, he, they weren't even talking to anybody, and they're having these unclean, uh, these, having these, these questioning thoughts in the paralytic story. He steps in. Why are you questioning in your heart? Cannot deny. Well, we'll talk about that more later. Um, so voices come questioning with the motive of undermining God by disrupting his work, his followers, his bride, and he steps in. Note to husbands there. And there is a, there, there's a satanic goal. With, if there is a satanic goal within these Pharisees, it's to at least to leave Jesus without followers here. If no one's following you, you aren't worth following. People, the crowds will see that and we'll be all right. So if his followers doubt him, uh, he won't have them. Maybe that's the goal behind their question. Um, but there's no discrediting God. Having peace and being encouraged today, now, we can see uh, we can see the God of the gospel and the gospel of God moving forward. We can have peace today because Isaiah 14, 24 says, The Lord of hosts has sworn surely as he has planned, so it shall happen. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand, or so shall it happen, surely. Uh, those who are well, and then you hear Jesus says, continuing the verse, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So if one does not bear witness to his own sin, as these tax collectors, as Peter did, as is all of the people that we've met so far, what, they bear witness to their sin and they bear witness to him. They bear witness to their uncleanness. unless we bear witness to our sin, we can never truly bear witness to Christ. One of my favorite Puritans, Thomas Watson, said, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. There is no joy in God until we have real despair of our sin. We saw what it did. We can look at the cross and see what it did to Jesus. And we can also look on the cross and see what he did for us. Bittersweet place. There's no easy believism. There's no just love of God. Yeah. Witness to our sin again. Yeah. Um, like we said, I think it was last week, 
when we can when we see God, um, we instantly know two things: that He's different than us. Um, we think of our we like to think favorably about ourselves, uh, as these Pharisees will show us. Um, but we know that we're not so different. And so we see God for who he really is and not who we think he is. And in that beholding him, we see how different and other and distinct he is. We know that we, and the first thing we know is we don't match up with that. And so what do we do with that? Um, There's a behold, that beholding gets us in the position for him to be able to be the doctor he is. Yep. Rich, uh, true repentance is actually knowing that Jesus now is God. Then that's when salvation begins and we see our sin. Mm -hmm. he, so he we're exposes. confessing to Jesus yeah. that we're sinners. What we're doing is actually saying, you're God, because he's the only one that can, can, can save sin or... or uh, Save sinners. Yeah, yeah, save sinners. Yeah. So that is the repentance at the beginning of our salvation. Yeah. You know, in other words, we're saying, well, in order to become a Christian, we've got to get rid of, we repent of all our sin. Well, we don't. We're continually doing it. Yeah. I think the repentance is, man saying when he came here is, I'm God. And that's the thing people had a hard time believing. Yeah. When he saves us, when he switches out our heart of stone, he gives us a heart of flesh. Flesh is malleable. It can, it, it's something, you can, you can shape something out of clay more easily than you can shape something out of stone. Uh, we then become the clay in God's hands, and, and we start to think God's thoughts, if you read uh, 1 Corinthians 2. And that's what happens at our, the moment of our salvation when that switch occurs. We, we change. We, um, and so we lay hold of what God has always seen, and we start to see it for what it truly is. That's beholding our sin. He gives us eyes to see what has always offended him, and now we, 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 there's this growing, and that's, that's the mark of one of the marks of salvation. You hate the sin you once loved and love the Savior you once ignored. Now, and it comes from beholding that Savior first. It's like, I see him. Ugh. Because we'll, we'll, we'll think about us. We'll, we'll, we'll realize instantly, the moment we see him, like milliseconds after, I don't line up with that. And you'll, your heart will chase after that. Your heart will chase after him, but you'll, it'll have a weight on it. I can't. And then that's where repentance comes in, that's where grace comes in, that's where mercy comes in, and he helps you to deal with the things that he hates. Loving you onto a new person through the means that he does. Um, so if you're reading or hearing this, and it's not feeling so great, keep going because that means it's working. I think Jill's point can't be underscored enough, though, yes. because the early preaching of the gospel was a start. It was, it was prefaced with Jesus is Lord, mm -hmm. and 
then it went on into calls for repentance and things like that. And if you put that in the back, so Jesus, um, he's when he was questioned about paying taxes, and he said, whose image is on the coin? And they said, well, Caesar's. And he said, well, render under Caesar's what Caesar's and the Lord what the Lord's. And basically the image on the coin was a reminder of the, of the character of Caesar and everything he embodied. You're supposed to do that as a Roman citizen. So when they proclaimed the gospel, it was curios uh, Caesar in Greek, which meant Caesar is the Lord. And when Jesus proclaimed the gospel, because I use that, that word intentionally, or when Paul proclaimed the gospel about Jesus, it was Christus Curios, which means Jesus is Lord, or Jesus Curios. Um, the difference in the ears of a Roman citizen is, oh, Caesar's not Lord. And then you kind of define yourself in relation to that person yeah. that that is supposed to be um, magnified in your life. And mm -hmm. Caesar, it was a, the word gospel, euangelion, the euangelion was Caesar is Lord. And that's the Roman gospel. And Paul doesn't use the word Messiah, really. He uses the word Lord, curios, mm. in proclaiming the gospel. Because when we have the, the Lord in vision in our mind, then it's like, as Rich said, we sort of work backwards from there. We're like, that's, that's how we define ourselves is in relation to what we see him. And thankfully, he helps us. Yeah. Um, Um, yeah, there, I'm, I'm trying to think how to, um, his idea, yeah, we're not just saved by the works of Christ, we're saved by the person and the works of Christ, it's, it's who's on the cross, and that's why he's, you know, we're saved eternally, even though he suffered for a few hours there, because the eternal one was put there. Point a minute ago, that's where you go from hating the sin to loving the Savior, yeah. you're magnifying the Savior in your mind and you're, and you're replacing whatever that place in your head that sin held you're replacing that with him Yeah, I remember just uh, Joe, when I uh, somewhere along when he saved me or was saving me I remember when um, I was sitting over there and I realized who Jesus was I thought I had always thought he was a man that really loved God and that God really loved. I didn't know that he was God. I and as soon as I as that clicked into place and when I knew what grace was, when those two things fell into place and then I heard the gospel, I knew who was on the cross and that changed all things. That was my Peter, turn away from me, or Lord, turn away from me uh, moment. Um, so yeah, we need to know who he is. Unless you know that I am, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven, is what uh, John 8 says. So repentance is not a bad word until you see, or repentance is a bad word until you see him savingly, because repentance always leads us to life enjoy really heavy word until you see him who he is and then once you once you're once you repent or once you're you have the invitation to repent you see it's an invitation onto greater things and the things that you now want more of that you didn't before 
See, the world doesn't want to change, but Christians are the people on earth that's like, oh, I get to change? Thank God. So now, foregoing ourselves, I mean, so we do forgo ourselves, not staying miserable, for joy in life in Christ. Repentance bought, or brought Levi to joy. He's at a feast, throwing a feast now. So apart from him, Jesus, we're just miserable at our booths doing our own thing. All right, so now we bring it into the next phase, and this is where we close out chapter 6. And I just have a little bit to say about this, and then we'll pray. Um, so verse 33, um, and questions. This is really th- written really thick, but it, ju- it makes a simple point. Um, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and, uh, fast often and offer prayers. Or see, there, these are two spiritual disciplines. Um, we're not going to get into what they are. We'll have opportunity as we go through Luke, uh, Luke to give them a full definition. We know what pre- uh, fasting is, on the, so at least on a surface level. And we know prayer. And so, do the disciples of the uh, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. So they they change the subject here. Whenever you hear, whenever repentance is mentioned, those who have no desire to repent will change the subject. Will go a different direction. Will want to focus on something else. Jesus mentions repentance, and they said to him, "John's disciples fast off." It's okay. So they they change the subject. It seems like. All right. This is going to strike a nerve in all of us to varying degrees because at some level we're all self-righteous in some way. It's in all of us. We're all, yeah. Legalism. This is what's in the Pharisees. This is what's in us. Legalism. It's good to be adhered to the law, but you jump the fine line into legalism And this occurs when those who are not mindful of their needing saving accredit God's and self-approval and righteousness to themselves for various reasons. They think that they're good with God based on how good they they perceive themselves to be, and they project that on God and say, you must approve of me because I think I'm good. Uh, So because of how much they obey or or how active they are, or what standard they hold themselves to at, they hold themselves at according to what they believe that standard should be. A standard they meet that others don't. And we can go on. But they're good or passable or even superior in their own eyes. And really, it's only in their own eyes that matter to them. Legalism appears when, like here, when the self righteous condemn those. Or not doing what they do, or doing what they don't do. Essentially, I'm good, you're not like me, ergo, you're bad. But if you become like me, think like me, vote like me, dress like me, blank, put whatever there you want, do what I do, then you're on your way. Here we see the Pharisees saying, You're neglecting what we see as important. Legalism is looking down on others for not living according to your list. 
Yes, some views are better than others. But just because you have a point doesn't mean you should kill someone with it. Finding, uh, there was a contributor to uh, Prager University. Um, I saw this quote. Finding offense everywhere you look is, is just self-importance disguising itself as virtue. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast? Peter entertains their question. Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? He's saying, this is a time of joy. Fasting pleads for something. Fasting is the only enhancement God gives to prayer. Um, fasting pleads for something. But now that Jesus is here, all that is needed is here and present in Christ. You don't need to fast. Jesus is here. All that you could need and fast for in your prayer is before you. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. This would have caught their attention because he's talking about a celebration like a wedding, but the groom's going to die. This is a unique statement. It will be taken from them. And then they will fast in those days. So the time for the disciplines to take on a heartier role will come. It will look to prayer or fasting, and it will resume at a future time. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a, from, a, from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, it will tear the, the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, then the wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wine skins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good he's telling us you can't bring anything into this he's telling them you can't squeeze your judaism into christianity when christianity is the summation of judaism jesus is the summation of judaism in all things christianity is the graduation of judaism uh, it's not an addition it's radically new it's this it's the the same as high school and college are not themselves the career they prepare you for. Um, this is what God has promised and has been working towards since the beginning, since the fall, depending on your th theology before the fall. Why? That's why Paul even writes the book of Galatians. Jesus plus nothing. Uh, they were incorporating aspects of the old in, in Galatians, the Galatians people, they were incorporating aspects of the old covenant and the law into Christianity, which no longer made it Christianity. They don't mix. They cease to be themselves when they're mixed. This is Christianity. Um, so it's, he's saying truth over relevance. So as to keep us in step with God. That's another. That's a big point that he's making here. Because we can get so locked into what we've always done that we don't, we're anchored to what we're always done and not anchored to Christ. He would not let you be content your whole life. That he, he's, not, he's going to keep you safe from complacency and he's going to blow up your traditions, our traditions, the things that we get stuck in. Uh, there's the song I heard, you thought... God was an architect, but now you know he's more of a pipe bomb ready to blow. 
all the things that you had that were all for show. Good song. I don't think the guy was a Christian, but he nailed it either way. Um, and we'll end here. So this is the next phase of redemption history. History. The gospel is being built, and Jesus promises it will be built. He fulfills that promise. And that's where we live now. We have the full message now. And so these two sentences, and then we'll pray. The text tells us that Jesus was appalling to the religious and appealing to the sinner. How we look at Jesus might determine where we're at. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you. Pray for, that you would bless any conversations that take place after this. Pray that you would settle those things that you turn up, as Leonard was talking about. Your word comes, and it's a, it's a shovel to everything that we are. You keep us safe from complacency. You keep us safe from our uh, traditions. You establish in us uh, the, a willingness to follow you. Following you means that we don't stay in the things that we always loved. You call us out of our booths. You call us out of our old lives. We're completely new. We receive a new heart. You've done a good surgery, and you've prepared us so graciously for the next phase, a new phase, a new life, to walk in fullness of joy with our Savior. Matthew got to, got to go out from his old way of life. He got to follow you. You led him and he followed. He left all things. He went to places with the gospel message that called him out of his booth and into a kingdom. That's what we exchange, a booth for a kingdom. We can sit at a booth, we can be free in a kingdom. So Jesus, be our king. And thank you that you reign and rule so well. But we don't need to reign and rule. Our kingdom goes no further than our booth. Yours encompasses all things. This man in history, Jesus Christ, that you're so much more than we ever thought you were when we heard about you before we knew you. Show us that. Continue leading us on. Help us. May the good word that we heard today from your scripture, from Leonard and from this, may it ripple out from here and bring you fruit 30, 60, 100 times. May we have that good soil and see the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, knowing that he came to save sinners. This saying is trustworthy and true that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And let our souls breathe in that as the work of God creates belief. And it's for your wonderful name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We need a door up here just to kick open sometimes. That's it. That one. Put a, put a little board on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Are we off the air? Are we off the air? Uh, Do you have any questions? Anything you want to talk about? I just prayed and didn't give you the